I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hey, everyone. We're so glad you could join us again for our podcast. If you've ever wanted to run your own nonprofit, you're going to really enjoy today's episode. I'm your co-host, Jacob Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Glenn Robinson. Austin Hardison is the executive director of Red Mountain Grace, a nonprofit with the mission of providing housing for families receiving long-term medical care in Birmingham. He's married to McCall, and they have a son, Charlie, and a daughter, Nell. Austin is a Birmingham native, where he has spent the majority of his career in development for higher education and nonprofit organizations. Prior to Red Mountain Grace, Austin worked at the UAB School of Medicine and Lifeline Children's Services, contributing to a rich background in fundraising from participating in large national capital campaigns to managing communications, events, and a development team. Austin and McCall are members of the Redeemer Community Church, where they lead a home group. And when not with family, Austin enjoys trying to improve his golf game instead of riding his road bike. He also has a passion for baseball and local restaurants. Sounds like my kind of guy. Austin, welcome to Chasing What Matters. Glenn and Jacob, great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Been looking forward to it. Well, hey, let's uh, let's start all the way at the beginning. So tell us where you're from and what growing up was like. Sure. Uh, a native of Birmingham, uh, like the bio that Glenn read. Um, growing up was like I'm the oldest of three. My dad is a pharmacist. Uh, my mom was a nurse by trade. Uh, grew up in a, a, a Christian home where we spent most Sundays, you know, going to church um, and then, you know, grew up playing all the all the, the sports that you can, but predominantly baseball. Uh, as well. So just, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say like an American dream, but just a great, a great background growing up here in Birmingham uh, with a lot of, a lot of blessings. Are you a Braves fan? I am a Braves fan. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of confused though, because I would come home from school uh, and if I had to do homework, I'd, I'd throw WGN on uh, and that's when the Cubs had all their day games. W- so a big yeah. fan of Sammy Sosa and Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace and, and those guys. Uh, as well. So, yeah. what do you think about Freddie Freeman hitting a homer uh, the other night? Uh, first time against the Braves again, man, he's, uh, he's, he's going to make them, you know, feel, feel that pain, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but Freddie's smiling too, cause he's hitting homers and he's got the paycheck to back it up now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Austin, uh, after high school, how did you wind up choosing Clemson? Sure. Uh, if if you are born in Alabama or have spent any significant time in Alabama, you know that uh, you've got to choose a football team to pull for, and that's either Auburn or Alabama. Uh, and and so both of my parents went to Sanford here in Birmingham. Uh, that's where they met, but we grew up Auburn fans, right? Like you've you've got to make that decision. Uh, I knew that I wanted to get out of the state of of Alabama, and fellas, I actually looked at going to UT. 
uh, Austin. Oh man. Um, yeah, see, we were doing so but well, I, but I saw the, I saw yeah. the light, uh, <laughs> and I said, that's not where I want to go. When you look at the size of the student body, uh, and, and I went on a, a visit, I played baseball in high school and was looking at Furman and Wofford. Um, but yeah. while I was in the upstate of South Carolina, I just stopped on Clemson's campus and, and said, this is, this is where I want to go. Uh, the joke, yeah. the, it's actually a joke and, and, and condescending towards Clemson, but they call it Auburn, uh, on the lake, but, uh, man, just the best four years of my life, uh, right there in the upstate, um, you know, four hours away from Birmingham. Um, so you could, you know, if I needed to get home, but it's, it's a whole new world up there. And, um, yeah, that's how I came across Clemson. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, so you leave Clemson. Do, do you head straight back to Birmingham? Tell us about those uh, years right after, right after college. Yeah. So, so I studied, uh, again, I alluded to my dad being a pharmacist. Uh, I, I thought I wanted to be a physician. Uh, and then I, I'd probably rather not be in the classroom and, and, you know, to be a physician, uh, that that's just a prerequisite. Uh, so I studied health administration. So the business side of medicine at Clemson, uh, and then to do that, if you, if you know want to do anything, that, uh, knows a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. So was it, so was it, was it biochem that helped you, uh, uh, see the light and change, change course? It, it, it was right. Um, but if you want to do anything with health administration, you then really need to go get a master's degree. Uh, and, and, and fellas, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. Uh, and I participated in the fellows program. So the national fellows initiative, um, I was a part of the program in Knoxville. This was the third year that Knoxville had it. And it's a little bit different than the other programs throughout the country. And at the time there were really only 12 other programs. So it took, uh, it took five guys and, uh, five girls, uh, and, and, uh, taught us how to integrate faith and vocation, right? So uh, you asked a little bit about growing up and I mentioned that we were in church on Sunday, right? But a part of my upbringing was you're either going to go be a youth pastor or a minister or a missionary, or you're going to be a physician or an accountant or a successful business person, right? Uh, there was there was not a whole lot of understanding of, of blending the two together. So that was a 10-month program, um, and it was really eye-opening and challenging uh, to me and, and got to, to draw closer to the Lord, but uh, really came across some other challenges uh, and opportunities there just in terms of uh, you're paired with a mentor in the program. Uh, my mentor passed away from cancer uh, during our time. So just, just seeing firsthand like what that looked like. And that was at 22, like at a, at a younger age uh, as well. Um, so then I came back to Birmingham. I took the GMAT to go get my master's. I came back to Birmingham cause I was going to go to UAB uh, and get my master's in health administration. Uh, took the GMAT one day. Uh, and then had a job interview with a company called Booster the next day. Uh, and Booster, Boosterthon is based out of Atlanta, but they do elementary school fundraising. Um, and a good friend of mine that was uh, not a good friend of mine, but a guy that I was, he's a good friend now, uh, but he was a fellow counselor at Canacuck one summer uh, that I participated when I was at, at Clemson. Uh, he was interviewing me and I said, you know what? There's still like, I, I love learning now, but at the, at the time, right? Like, Still wanted to defer to the classroom and uh, I, you know, why not just go get a paycheck and, and, and do that? So that's really how I got into fundraising. Booster, uh, at, at the time, their models changed a little bit, but uh, they were partnering with schools, primarily elementary schools throughout the country 
Uh, and instead of doing gift wrap sales or cookie dough sales, uh, they would do a fun run at the culmination of a, a nine day program. Uh, and it was around fitness and character initiatives and everybody participated uh, at the school. So at, at 22, got to lead 23, got to lead a team of, you know, three or four guys. And uh, we were in Little Rock. We were in Nashville. We were all over the state of Alabama. We were in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, so just getting a lot of reps um, of, of leading a, an organization. Uh, so that's kind of what happened after, like right after Clemson. And then from Boost, how did you wind up at UAB? Yeah, uh, I'd kind of gotten into into fundraising, but uh, someone I went to church with worked at the cancer center. Uh, and, and I'd mentioned seeing my mentor pass away from cancer. I had a baseball coach in high school pass away from cancer. My grandmother passed away from cancer. Um, so just a, a, a connection there, uh, but got to step into maybe what you and I and uh, more folks associate fundraising with from from a higher ed standpoint uh, and spent about five years at UAB in the School of Medicine with different shops being uh, surgery, dermatology, radiology uh, and anesthesiology and then the cancer center uh, raising money. And so so really understanding what development was uh, with that. So that that led me to the cancer center. Um and then with all the different you know research initiatives going on, and uh, UAB is an, an NCI uh, designated comprehensive cancer center, so you know world class entity in terms of research and treatment that's going on. So so I got to to be a part of those capital campaigns, and at the time UAB was in the middle of a a billion dollar uh, capital campaign, a, a five year campaign for that. Uh, and UAB was a, a relatively and is a relatively young uh, school, you know, coming about in the late sixties. Uh, early 70s um, to establishing just different connections with alumni and fundraising initiatives there. And then how did you become familiar with Red Mountain Grace? It was already underway. So tell our listeners about Red Mountain Grace, what it is, and then also how you wound up intersecting sure. this great organization. Yeah, Glenn. So Red Mountain Grace, again, is a 501c3. We're, we're currently based here in Birmingham, uh, and our our mission is to provide gracious hospitality for families that are traveling to Birmingham for long term medical care. We do that through offering uh, fully furnished apartments for just ten dollars a night. So right now we manage 20 apartments throughout the south side of Birmingham. All of our units are within eight miles of UAB. UAB is the you know, it's, it's the only level one trauma hospital. It's an academic medical center in the state. So. We have people coming from all over the Southeast and, and really all over the world for, for certain treatments. Um, our average length of stay is, is 45 days. So the criteria that for our families and our guests that we serve, they've got to be from 50 miles outside of Birmingham, actively receiving medical care, uh, and then need a place to stay for a minimum of a week. So 45 days is our average length of stay. And then we're serving patient populations that are uh, transplant patients, so heart, liver, lung, kidney transplant oncology treatment, and then ICU families as well. Uh, and then coming out of COVID, you know, we, we saw a lot of families affected, uh, you know, by COVID diagnosis. Uh, and so in the ICU stays, um, you know, we're, we're serving those patient populations. And again, we do that from a, from a fully furnished apartment. So um, we are a faith-driven organization. Uh, it is, you know, it is what you see in Luke 10, loving your neighbor. How do we extend the love of Christ uh, and that's done through the model of, of hospitality housing. Uh, I came to Red Mountain Grace because uh, I was friends with one of our uh, current board members and he called me up 
in January of 2020 and said, hey, uh, Red Mountain Grace was founded eight. Sorry, let me rephrase this. So Red Mountain Grace was founded eight years ago and it started with just two apartments. And so over eight years has grown to the operation of of 20 and the management of 20. Uh, But in early 2020, one of our board members, uh, we, we were replacing our executive director and said, I was a development director for Lifeline at the time, um, another nonprofit in town, and said, hey, we're looking for an ED. And uh, y'all, this was this was a perfect marriage in my eyes, right? So I, I took my nonprofit background. Uh, I got to, to bring back that healthcare experience, one with UAB, but also studying in school. And then the, the third member of that triangle is we do this through multifamily, right? So I've kind of gotten this crash course on, on multifamily real estate uh, over the past two years as I've been executive director. So. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You know, I, part of Melissa and I's story is uh, when our, when our son got sick, we had to stay at the hospital for a really long time, unexpectedly, right? Like we woke up on a Saturday morning, thought like like we had plans that Saturday. Uh, And then he, we woke him up unconscious in his crib and uh, we left the house. I didn't even leave with shoes on. Uh, my father-in-law had to bring me a pair of shoes at the ER. Uh, we just hopped in the car and I drove him to the ER and we came home 75 days later, you know, like, like it, it's a, it's when your life gets turned upside down, it's not a gradual turning upside down, right? It, it's, it's a, it can be in an instant, especially we talk about the ICU families. And so immediately we, we didn't know where we were going to spend the night, right? I mean, we slept in the room, uh, for a couple nights, but eventually like you got to actually sleep. And once you realize you're going to be there for a while. And so we stay at the Ronald McDonald house that they have there at Texas Children's, which was, which was good, right? It's, it's a great blessing uh, for sure, um, but not sustainable, especially with so many people that need that facility, right? And, and we were fortunate. We, we had uh, individuals step up and, and was able to put us in a hotel across the street. And that's just, it's a really major expense. And so I love what you guys are doing because uh, when your loved one is in the hospital, your mind is everywhere else except for where am I going to sleep tonight? Right. Like, I mean, that's just like, it's, it's so far down on your totem pole, but then also it's, it's so crucial, right? Like you you got to either escape for a minute. Like you need to get out uh, of the hospital for a second. You need to recharge your batteries for your loved one. Uh, and then you actually have got to get like actual sleep and, and to be able to send somebody to a nice, fully furnished apartment uh, for ten dollars a night. I mean, my my goodness, what a what an amazing uh, life giving organization that you get to run. That the ripple effect is for years and years and years after that. So uh, I love that. I love everything that y'all are doing. But you, like you said, you, you came into an organization in the in the middle of COVID, right? I mean, good gosh. Uh, I mean, the whole world was trying to figure out how to lead. Uh, during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knew what to do every day. It was changing. You're in the industry, uh, hospitality, healthcare, that those two uh, were ever changing on a daily basis. And then here you are as a new executive director. What were those first days like? I mean, what, what were those first days like for you? What were those first months like? What was a priority for you? Like what, if you're talking to our listeners, I mean, tell us about that. And then Talk to our listeners of, hey, if I'm either doing it all again, I'd do it this way, or these are the lessons I'd learn for somebody out there that might be listening saying, hey, I'm, I'm new in a role and I kind of have no idea what to do today. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Jacob, that's, we can go a lot of different ways. So what was I feeling or what was going on? I mean, uh, I was coming into an organization that hadn't had an executive director for close to six months. Um, wow. And so our board 
did a phenomenal job of just uh, kind of being a little more hands-on than most boards are, are, are called to do or called to be uh, and really helped keep the organization going. Um, you know, we are at, at $10 a night. We're driven by the philanthropy of our partners and supporters uh, because we lease our model is that we lease these apartments or in, in the origin, they were donated. Right. But with multifamily being the market that it is right now, I mean, you want to talk about some other challenges in 2018, we had 13 apartments and all but four of those were free. Uh, and the rent that we paid for those four apartments, two were four fifty a month and the other two were 500 a month in rent. Well, here we are in you know April of 2022 and our average cost per door for the 20 units uh, is is over eight hundred dollars a door in rent, right? Uh, and and, wow. and all of our units we pay for all but but two, right? Um, and so the, the the model of the game has just kind of changed a little bit. So how do we how do we grow that? What other funding sources are we seeking? What other partnerships are we seeking? So I think how how my role as an executive director was one, you know, how do we stay the course with the DNA? of who we are in our, in our model. Right. But, you know, we had contracted with the cleaning company. We rely on volunteers to clean the units uh, in between guests right now as a way to, you know, yes, we provide housing, but Red Mountain Grace is honestly a lot more than that. So how do we welcome our guests and how do we get to know them as neighbors? And those are volunteer opportunities that we have for community partners right now. Well, during COVID, you know, because of what was going on, we had contracted with a, a cleaning company to come in and, professionally clean those. So there's just all these challenges that, that a ton of other business owners, you know, uh, were facing as well. And I think that's, I think that's the challenge too, that, that I saw in our Genesis, right? So Red Mountain Grace, like 1.0 and kind of maybe 1.5 or 2.0, we were like most other organizations and we're growing out of this and still are like, never forget the heartbeat and the why we exist, but we were very like mission, 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 right? Uh, and, and let's serve and let's do great. But there's there's a business side to that, right? Like the only difference in, in a for-profit and non-profit is really, you know, how your books are set up and how you how you pay your taxes, right? Like we're, we still have to keep the lights on. I still have a team that I employ, right? And, and I want to pay them a, a great and a fair and, 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 and salary, you know, a wage, right? Um, so just like how do we, you know, we, we honestly also have shareholders as well. And those are our donors, right? So how are we stewarding the resources that they give us. So I think that was just kind of this whole maturation phase that we are in and growing out of, you know, as an organization. So I think a part of the question was, what did it look like via COVID? But, uh, you know, as, as a new ED, a part of this was just like, there was no really manual that I was, that I was handed to, to take over either. Cause we were, you know, when we, our Genesis was just founded by a group of guys that said, Hey, here's an issue. And we want to, we want to solve it. And they ponied up, their own resources to, to do this. And, you know, in eight years, we've served uh, over 850 families, close to 900 families, you know, through our doors. We served 133 in 2020. We served 149 last year in 2021. So like, we, we want to like make this model. I think where I came in was let's make it sustainable, but then let's also scale it. Right. So what do we need to do to scale it, to take it to other markets and to serve more families and, and this is also where my development and fundraising perspective comes into play. You kind of mentioned what a blessing it was to have that hotel room. I think what I heard you say and what we see from, from two sides is to want to have that respite, right? To have that sense of normalcy of life, but then also where you see a difference and, and what I think our differentiating factor is, is also community, 
right? Like you were fortunate to have community that, you know, your father-in-law brought you some shoes. You had someone support you through paying for that, that hotel room, right? Like how do we provide those things for our guests? Uh, and, and, and how do we lean on other organizations as well? Like one thing that I love about us is, man, you could come in just with the clothes on your back. And if you have food insecurity, we're going to lean on some other nonprofit partners and we're going to meet those needs. And that's not, that's not necessarily like our business model and what we do, but we think creatively to, to lean on that partnership. Now, all of our units are, are fully furnished as well. Right. So as a leader, I've had to, this is against my DNA wiring, but I've had to learn to say no a little bit as well. So when someone says, Hey, I've got a, I've got an old you know, bed. Could you use it? I've got an old couch. Could you use it? That's great. And I, and I love that you're thinking of us, but think about if you were checking into one of our, our units, we don't really want hand-me-downs. So we then have other, we have a, a furniture bank that we partner with and we have another uh, you know, thrift store that we partner with to then steer those, those opportunities towards them and support them as well. So I, I'm not, I've kind of gone all over the place wow. with answering your question, but you were like, what, what was it like? And I just think back two yeah. years, you know, how every other business owner was faced with, how are we going to be open? I mean, Children's Hospital of Alabama on Monday this week changed their visitation policy. And here we are, you know, because of COVID, just, just opened it back up, right? And we're, we're two years down the road on this. So thinking of visitation policy, and that's, and that's where we're unique. That's where we were able to house and, you know, folks that were COVID positive, we could have, we don't strive to this, but we could do a touchless check-in and they've got their whole apartment just for them. That's fully furnished to, to meet all their needs, you know, whereas where else yeah. would they stay up there? And to not to, to bash your experience, but if you're in a hotel, there's a daily cost of that, but you're eating all three of your meals out unless you're in some extended sure. stay. But man, how, where, where are you washing your clothes for an extended amount of time too? Like yeah. that laundry's piling up and you're just turning your drawers inside and out, you know, after a certain amount yeah. of time. Right. So like, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, it's, it, it's, um, I think it's probably easy for people to look at an organization like this and go, oh, cool. They, they give you a people apartment complexes, mm -hmm. a, apartment, a, a bed to sleep in. It, it is so much more than that because you're dealing with so many different circumstances and situations that not, not every single one of them is alike. Not every family situation is alike. Uh, and then on top of that, yeah, you're, you're a real estate company, hospitality business, uh, and medical facility kind of, you know, I mean, that's an interesting dynamic for, for sure. Well, Austin, I'm curious uh, because in your new role, you you skate in two different lanes. You skate in the lane, obviously, of the fundraising piece that it's vital. That's your lifeline. Mm -hmm. But also, you're responsible for the vision and the future of Red Mountain Grace. Uh, share with our listeners what are you seeing as the, as the visionary leader of the organization? Where do you see it going? You mentioned other markets uh, uh, as one potential avenue in, in to pursue. But tell our listeners more about what you're seeing, not only today, but tomorrow for this organization, Red Mountain Grace. Mm. Yeah, Glenn, I, I think what I'm seeing, I'm going to start with some challenges, right? Like the, the challenge is... Uh, the cost of the housing market right now, specifically how, how hot the multifamily market is. And, and that's in certain markets, but you know, if you, if, if we're looking to expand in Nashville, right, like cost in Nashville and Houston and Atlanta, our uh, cost of living is drastically higher than it is here in this sweet spot of, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. Right. But we're even faced with that growing cost. So uh, we have to be creative on, on how we uh, fund those. So I'm, 
I mean, maybe I shouldn't share this, but like I'm learning up on opportunity zones, right? We're, we're working with our board on, on purchasing models, right? Like, can we go out and can we, can we buy some apartments and, and have those assets uh, that then changes a little bit of our, our business and how we look. But those are, those are questions that we're constantly looking at. Um, you know, I think we have some insight too, is like, you know, Jacob, you just mentioned no family stay is the same. There was one point last year where we had seven lung transplant guests, you know, staying across our units. And while they're all here for the same procedure, uh, there's just unique uh, situations and, and, and stays within those. Um, so, so I'm trying to identify certain partners within the multifamily sector. Uh, Glenn, you, you come from the healthcare background. 60% of our guests are receiving care at UAB. Uh, but we also support children's, right? Like Jacob, you mentioned Ron McDonald, and they're affiliated just with Children's Hospital. But, you know, we're also supporting children's. We support a urology center uh, that has radiation treatment for, for you know, prostate cancer uh, treatment. We support other, uh, we're not affiliated just with UAB. There's there's Grandview, there's Tenant, which is a, you know, a, a Texas company. Um, we even actually partner with a, a clinic that that supports folks going through eating disorder treatment. Right. So just different in terms of medical care, that's that's a wide variety. And is, you know, we see cost of living and cost of travel going up. You know, how can we welcome our neighbor uh, in through those models? And so just we're exploring different partnerships, both on the multifamily side. But I'm I'm trying to work on some grants that that we're seeing, you know, from a visionary standpoint side, Glenn, you know, the the portfolio of our units at the 20 units, we've got seven, two bedroom, seven, one bedroom. Right. Uh, so, sorry. Eight, be- eight, one bedroom uh, and then five studios. Right. Well, some families are just a patient and a caregiver. Some families, that's a spousal situation. If you have kids, you might be bringing additional kids. So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, how do we provide a hospitality experience and looking at sleeper sofas? Right. So working on grants to, to furnish those units. So there's been a lot of like standardization across the board, but we're also identifying what markets do we need to go to? Right. Is that you know, Memphis has St. Jude, right? And Houston has MD Anderson's footprint is all over that and they do a great job. So we want to look at those markets, but are there resources there? You know, in Atlanta, there's, to my knowledge, there's two hospitality houses and and one is for a certain patient population with uh, special needs. And another one is, you know, further outside 285, right? So if you're, you're in downtown, you know, you're getting care at Emory, uh, that's going to be a drive with some Atlanta traffic. So how do we plant our flag right, right in the neighborhood of those hospitals so that, you know, those patients, if they needed to, they, they could walk, right? Uh, how, how, what's a convenience like that? We've, you know, we've got families coming from all over the country, but if you're coming from, you know, Excel, Alabama or Andalusia, so many of our guests are saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not used to the big city. And, you know, Birmingham's not a, like, how do you show empathy and dignity to our get to our guests, right? Like we want to welcome the stranger. So Jacob, you alluded to this. The last thing you're thinking of when you're in a medical emergency is man, where am I going to sleep? How do I navigate this eight story parking deck when the prices of parking are, you know, 20 bucks a day and all these other things. So I think that's where we're trying to be more strategic and align with our partnerships of being, getting with some, you know, Glenn, your initial question was, what do we see? Well, I'm looking at what markets can we go to? to affect, but also what multifamily, you know, management companies are based here in Birmingham that we're working with, but also have footprints in, you know, in Raleigh, in the triangle, right. Or in Nashville or in Jacksonville, Florida. So we can go support Mayo and, and children's over there, you know, in, in UF. So just 
those are, those are all the, the the growth of what's coming. And that's and I'm working with our board and, and our donors too to you know actively grow that. I think we we just landed a partnership with UAB. You know, talk about y'all going to hit me some questions later, but I've really seen the Lord's provision just wreck me over the past two years. You know, it's been eight years that we've been doing this and and really have supported UAB and they've supported us in some other endeavors. They they're a medical provider. Why do they need to dip their toe into the housing ring? How can we? That's our lane to run, and how can we support them through that? And so they entered into a new partnership with us this year and, and brought on four additional units, right? Uh, y'all, right now our wait list is at 38 families. So nothing's more heart-wrenching than somebody saying, hey, I need a place to stay, or I've got a husband in the ICU, and we're spending hundreds of dollars a night in hotel costs. And right now I've, I've just got to say, hey, what, what the best thing for us to do is to put you on the wait list and hope that something comes up. But right now our, our average length of stay is 45 days. Uh, and, and so how do we, there's different models of hospitality, right? Uh, hospitality housing, some other organizations in other networks, you know, they have a 90 day stay maximum or they serve certain patient populations. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's something that we've opened ourselves up to with our guidelines. Like we, we, we're not limited to, you know, that, that creates a little bit of the chaos that we're seeing, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot about this. So how do we align ourselves with, local businesses that want to, you know, provide hospitality? How do we align ourselves with the local church um, that want to, or, or, or volunteer networks to come and care for our guests? So I've been all over the place, but uh, yeah, sorry, Glenn. That was a no, question. no, I, I, I think that's um, you're, you're shining light on something that I think a lot of leaders deal with and don't know how to articulate you have almost too many avenues you you could attack, right? Like, like you just listed like eight things that you could be focused on on a daily basis that would probably take, like, could be one person's job, Yeah, you know, like, and, and you're doing it in a nonprofit and, and, the, and you see that probably more in a nonprofit than you do in a for-profit of uh, saying, yeah, you need, you need to handle eight jobs. What, what else did you expect? <laughs> right. Rather, rather than like a big corporate where everybody's like, you may have eight people doing that eight, those eight jobs. Right. How do you, um, and, and maybe you're like, I don't know yet. Maybe I haven't found it. And that's an okay answer. How do you find clarity around, okay, hey, today, this is the most important person or most important thing for me to work on? Because like you said, you have 30 plus families on a wait list. Like th- that, that's in and of itself is mentally taxing, right? And then you're like, well, then I, got, I need this partnership. Well, well, shoot, now I need this one. Now I need this one. And you could almost get paralysis by analysis right and you're yeah. you look up two weeks later and you're like i haven't done anything mm-hmm. what what how do you handle that how would you encourage other leaders uh to to just start moving forward like how, how do you do that yeah i i think a couple a couple things come to mind i'm gonna make a plug for uh a great resource and, and a friend that y'all had on the show is steve graves right he has a book called the five the five tasks in any like executive leader can use that framework, right? It's direction, speed, uh, risk, resources, and culture, right? So a part of that's having clear KPIs, Jacob, like what's our North Star and what are we heading to? Right now we have 20 units. And so uh, with our with our board, like we've set a goal to have, to, to manage 30 units by the end of 2022. We got to that based on our, our current wait list and all that. And once we hit that, you know, we, we're now operating things within like we we want to set things up so that they can scale right and, and, and how are we putting out uh fires or issues or going about things so that we can we can set that up so i think a lot of that's trudging through setting up those right systems 
another thing that I fall back on y'all is, is just community, right? It's, it's people, right? And, and, and so making sure that I've got uh, the right team built out to handle those things, uh, that I've got other, uh, I've got a network of people that I can call and bounce ideas off of that they can speak to me and, you know, help, help guide, you know, questions that I have. So I, I think that's, that, that's what I would say uh, that, you know, that's one of those resources that Steve talks about, but I think as a, a leader, you need to have that, that community and that might be managing up. That also might be managing down. And then Jacob, I think the, the answer to how do we do that is uh, clearly find, you know, KPIs. I, I read uh, measure what matters not too long ago by uh, door. Right. And that's a, that's a great book to define that. So, so building out with our, our team, like, Hey, we have a weekly meeting, like, what are our metrics that we're doing? And are we running in two week sprints? Are we running in quarterly goals? And then we're running in annual goals, right? And I think an area that I've I've grown, but I've also got to continue to grow is delegation, right? Like you can tell by my long, long winded answers, like all the lights are on in this house. Like, and I'm always thinking about what are we doing three years, five years, you know, the emails that are piling up in my inbox right now that, you know, the great thing from fundraising and, and, and relational fundraising is like, all you do is actually create more work from that, right? Like you've gone out and you've from a from a for-profit, you've hit the sale, right? Like you you've generated the the gift and the agreement, but then you've got to then create the systems if you haven't already, but follow up and give stewardship reports on that. And you've got to make sure that everything's working. So I think I think delegation is key. And that's something that I haven't mastered, but I'm but I'm growing in, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, I I think, you know, another uh, tough role that you're in. And I, you know, speak to our listeners who are involved in nonprofits, run nonprofits, run ministries, uh, or just involved in ministries. How, how do you drive your team that's motivated by a vision and calling, right? Mm-hmm. Versus what's easy for us to counter that with is a for-profit business that's driven by the bottom line, right? I mean, it just, and that's okay. Like there's nothing evil about that at all, but, but it's two different motivating factors. Um, how do you drive your team, motivate them continually by vision? Cause there's gotta be days where they're like, that's sometimes that's just tough to hang on to, right? Like, I mean, it just life hits and it just happens the same way that it's always tough to just be driven by money, right? Eventually Mm -hmm. that, that runs out also. So how do you balance that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, a principle that I learned a few years ago when I was talking about getting reps at booster thon or booster is you've got to know yourself then you got to lead yourself. Then you got to know others in order to lead them. Right. So like, what is the wiring of my team and making sure that, you know, part of our hiring and vetting process, like it's myself and three others, right? Like we have a really small team at Red Mountain Grace, but making sure that we're all aligned at that North star and where we're going and having clearly defined roles. Um, I think that helps in that, in that motivation. Right. But also understanding that uh, one of my team members is a licensed social worker. She's a two on the Enneagram. Right. So like what she's going to react to something and things are going to motivate her in a different way than somebody else on the team. So how are we communicating to her? Uh, how am I giving her time to process things that the way she, so, so I think it just goes with knowing, knowing your team members and um, kind of speaking to that or valuing like how, how they're wired and, and how you need to, you know, having those check marks in place to, to empower them. Right. Like uh, I, I think we all want to be a part of success and that might have a dollar sign associated with it, or it might have uh, another, you know, 
need associated with it, right? Like is is our is our success at Red Mountain Grace determined by the dollars raised or is it determined by the dollars saved? You know, we last year we saved families over a half a million dollars in housing costs in Birmingham alone, right? So like, but there's also an intangible that you can't put next to that. And that's a family member being able to be close to a loved one, right? Like sure. when I mean I've got so many stories, y'all, of of guests and I I can't capture when I when we check a guest in, right? Like just in terms of dignity and empathy and respect, like I don't want to have any hidden cameras in that apartment, but I wish I did to see some of the looks and just the relief on families as soon as they walk in the door and say, "Man, this is our this is our home." Right? Like this is where we get to stay and what a relief just to get away from the chirps and the beeps of the hospital and the anxiety and a place to have a home cooked meal. Y'all I'll tell this story real quick. Uh, Two weeks on the job. I went to go part of being executive director of a nonprofit right here. I went to go change a light bulb in one of our units, right. Uh, That was out over a kitchen table and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And this family uh, is here for oncology treatment. They had already spent two months in a hospital, right. And and they kind of, they were with us for just a few days uh, at this point. Um, but I want to go change the light bulb and I walk into this room or into this apartment and they've got spaghetti, just a big, I mean, just a big old family style pot of spaghetti on the stove cooking at three o'clock in the afternoon. And in my little finite mind, I'm sitting there saying like, uh, it's a little early for the early bird special. You know, like why, why are y'all, you, y'all, I, I, I'm internally processing this. Right. But I'm just going about changing the light bulb and, and, you know, connecting with the guests and talking to them. And they're like, and it, and it hit me in the hotel room. Like they didn't have the ability to, to cook a home cooked meal, right? They didn't have the ability to, to just have that. And, and so I was forever, you know, if, if my board of directors fires me, you know, tomorrow, like I'm forever changed by the model of radical and gracious hospitality that we get to be a part of here at Red Mountain Grace. Right. And so I think Jacob, your question was, how do I motivate the team? And man, there are some tough days. There are days like, you know, from a financial side, we, we were in the red, you know, we were like most nonprofits sitting there saying, you know, we're, we're bringing in a majority of our revenue Q4. And that's great when everybody says, oh, we got a little extra meat on the bone. And we're we're going to, you know, give it away so we don't get hit by taxes. And that's, please, that's my can, that's tongue in cheek right there. Right. Um, but, you know, so there, there are nights when I've got a wait list right now, 38 people, like, how do we go, you know, uh, open up more units and we're working with that. And we're, then we have hiccups on the apartment management side. Right. So like, there's just a lot of things, but I think if you stay true to the cause, right. And you stay true to like knowing your role and, and what, what is expected of you in that, right. That that's the wind of the sales. Right. And, and, and I think we, I think we uh, underestimate the long term and overestimate the short term a little bit. Right. Like if I, if I'm showing up for a 40 hour job, uh, you know, 40 hour work week, there's going to be a day or two that I'm just not hitting on all cylinders. Right. But like, how do I hang on to those, those wins? Right. Like we, we got a five figure gift yesterday in the mail from a first time donor. And for a little old nonprofit like us, like, man, we're able to go open a, a unit, almost two units with, with the funds that came in through that. Right. So that's two more families that are on the wait list uh, through that. And, and, and that was a, that was an answer to, that was an answer to prayer. And that, that, that gift came from a donor that, that gift came from a connection of a donor who had just watched Red Mountain Grace from for four years, right? Like she she just heard of somebody's story and kind of followed us on social media and knew of somebody's story and, and for four years. So then 
last year she and her her husband got involved and became apartment adopters and opened up a unit. And then, you know, somebody that they know in their network then sent in this this five figure gift. And and I get like, you I've been a part of I've pulled in other like larger gifts, right? With other organizations. But I think to celebrate like those little wins just like that are what what keeps you going, oh, yeah. right? One of the things we wanted to ask Austin for help our listeners uh, just quickly help us differentiate the Red Mountain Grace model versus Ronald McDonald House. In other words, tell our listeners what the difference is and how uh, and, and what makes Red Mountain Grace special. Sure, uh, Glenn. I think I think you kind of put me in a corner on this. So if what I want you to hear <laughs> from me is not any any ill or any spite or anything like that, but just how the models are set up, right? So at Ronald McDonald, uh, that's that's what I call more community or dorm style living, right? So that's a building uh, that has multiple living spaces. And so guests uh, guests then get their own living space, but then they have a community kitchen uh, or usually community laundry setting uh, facilities and all. And, and all that's great because, I mean, you got to think about all the Ronald McDonald homes across the U.S. and international and how they're serving those families, uh, and again, Ronald McDonald is only associated with a children's hospital, right? So only pediatric uh, cases. Where Red Mountain Grace is different is you have your own apartment, uh, and, and so those are fully furnished. Again, uh, we've we've got coffee makers and linens and you know three ply toilet paper, like the good the good stuff. Uh, four ply toilet paper, um, so so fully furnished, and that's just ten dollars a night. And Ronald McDonald is is at at you know no cost to, to guests as well, but there are some things that come along with that. So I think we just, uh, our founders, Jason Carroll and, and John Burdett, uh, leveraged the opportunity with some other partners of theirs in the multifamily uh, and, in, and in Birmingham alone, right? So I'm learning more, I'm getting this crash course in multifamily, but you know, f- from in the downtown area alone, from one interstate to a highway that kind of bank uh, and encompass Birmingham, there's, you know, there's 9,000 apartments, right? Um, and, and so, on a daily basis with all of these uh, great healthcare facilities that we have, you've got people coming from all over the world. So how are we different? Uh, it's the fully furnished apartment. And then we rely on uh, volunteers and our apartment adopters uh, to get to know our guests, right? So we're a faith-driven organization uh, and, and we want to share that it's, it's the love of Christ that compels us to do what we do. You heard me reference Luke 10, right? The parable that gets Samaritan earlier in our conversation. Right. And I think that's a great picture of loving your neighbor. Right. So these our guests are strangers because they're from outside of Birmingham. So how do we show them hospitality? Well, that's done through a fully furnished apartment. Um, you know, it's got, you know, Wi-Fi. We don't we don't bill them for utilities or anything like that. Uh, you know, again, washer dryer access with with soap and, and detergent and all that. So that would be how we're a little different. And then the secret sauce then, Glenn, is. If guests are willing, you know, we want to get to know them. So we've got a family staying with us right now from Florida uh, and their son just received a double lung and a heart transplant. Uh, well, they have a nine year old. He's 14 and they have a nine year old daughter. And, and so she turned nine last October uh, when, when they were with us. Um, and, you know, imagine being a nine year old away from home on, on your birthday. So our apartment adopter connected with that unit uh, got word uh, that this young lady's thing she missed most about home was riding her bike, right? And so this apartment adopter goes out and gets 
gets her a bike for her birthday. And then uh, she also loves art. So we had an intern at the time that gets basically like two suitcases of art supplies. Uh, and we went and we threw, uh, we threw Riley a, a birthday party at, you know, a, for, for a nine year old. Right. So, so that's to me, uh, we, our mission statement says gracious hospitality. Uh, you could sub that with gospel hospitality. And I think that's what we see from the love of our father, right? Like Ephesians three, you know, go uh, loving us and, and providing abundantly and infinitely more than we can imagine. Right. So like, it's not just, do we want, do we want to provide a clean and, and, and safe place for you to stay? Yes. That is, that is the tip of the spear. But behind that is hopefully so much more getting to know our guests and uh, celebrating them with great diagnosis and uh, great news. Um, but it's, it's taking them a meal. It's sitting with them when they've had a tough day at the clinic, right? Uh, it's providing uh, welcome cards and handwritten thank you notes and leaning on other, you know, providing a, a warm cup of coffee and just tons of ways that we, we get to know uh, our neighbors, right? Yeah. I mean, the hands and feet of Jesus, right? I mean, that that's, uh, and you're asking nothing in return, right? And, and, I just, I love it. I mean, obviously it resonates, uh, with me on a whole host of levels. Uh, we, we thoroughly enjoyed and we're super appreciative of our time at the Ronald McDonald house. My only complaint, uh, is they need normal, uh, human sized towels. Uh, they, they, we had hand towels, uh, after we got a shower and I'm like, this is, this is just ridiculous. But, uh, other than that, uh, I have nothing but good things to say, uh, about the one here, but you know, uh, it, it, it truly, is amazing, and I think you you, you hit uh, the nail on the head, right? Like again, I mean, just all the things that you you have to oversee and that you that you do and your team manages. It's very easy for you to get singular focus, and and you can either focus on the patient, uh, and you can focus on providing rooms, but then you, you forget about the nine year old, right? Like like this is just as impactful for her as is the rest of the family, right? I mean, like this is like shaping her life and, and she's also watching her brother be sick. Like there's a whole like things going on and a bike is, is like moves the needle, like epic proportions. Right. And like that doesn't, I mean, a bike costs money. Like don't no, no doubt there, but like it's a, it's a small gesture uh, that is like lifelong memories. Right. So <clears throat> I'll stop now before I get choked up, but so we'll switch gears. Uh, and you're probably going to end up getting us choked up here on this one. I'm going to ask you probably the toughest question of the day, uh, including the rapid fire ones. You have one story to tell me about a family. Go. Yeah. Uh, ooh, we'll see if I can get through this one. So uh, <laughs> Timothy Wally is a young man uh, and he's uh, six years old and he was here for a kidney transplant as a guest of ours. Uh, and he had a birthday, right? So imagine being six as a kidney transplant and being away from home and having a birthday. Uh, and so we had some great volunteers of ours, and this was at the peak of COVID, uh, and they did a drive-by birthday for him, right? So he went out in the parking lot, and they did a drive-by birthday. Um, and so I knew that it was his birthday, and I talked to his mom and figured out his favorite flavor of cake. And, and so I'm leaving the office, and that actually didn't live too far from the apartment where they were. Um and I grab this slice of, slice of strawberry cake, right? This, I mean, just honking slice of strawberry cake. And this is in August in the summer heat. And so I made one extra stop uh, along the way and left my truck outside for like 15 minutes and didn't think. And then I hop back in my truck and I go to the apartment and I I pull out the cake and it's just this slop of, of cake, right? Like 
Um, and I'm, I'm not going and, and, and at this point, y'all, like, I'm thinking about just canceling on them. Like, I, I can't go to the door and, like, send them this little slop of goo, right? Um, but I do. So I knock on the door uh, and get to chat with Timothy. And, y'all, this guy, like, he's just a ball of energy. He's just a ball of life. And as, as you can imagine for a six-year-old, and, uh, his apartment is littered with cards and gifts and everything that, he, you know, friends and family had sent him and then and, and all that. Uh, and I, and I sheepishly like give him this slice of cake and, and he, you know, he looked at me like I just gave him a million dollars. Um, and I, again, I already alluded to like how I'm forever changed by hospitality, but this six year old, uh, you know, we're talking and he, he learns that I have a son who's one years old, a year old. Um, and so at that moment, Timothy stops and he runs across the room and he picks up an envelope and he runs back and it's a birthday card that he had. And he pulls out a dollar and he goes here. I want him to have this. Hmm. Right. And and so like, hmm. here, here's this six year old who's a kidney transplant, like away from home on his birthday. Like you could just be throwing this pity party. And like, you could think of all the, the, the trials that this family's already gone through. And this kid wants to give my son who he's never met a dollar on his birthday. Right. So like I am, I am forever changed by our guests. Right. Mm. Um, and just honored that, that they get to stay with us. And Joshua Jip is an author uh, and he has a book kind of on, on hospitality. Uh, and, and there's a quote in there that, you know, gracious hospitality or gospel hospitality is when we, when we welcome the stranger and then they leave his friends. Right. Mm. Um, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't always happen. Right. Uh, for us, but like, man, fellas, I'm, I'm forever changed just by that act of that act of, of true generosity right there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so thanks for letting me I share that. It. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, um <clears throat> I'm gonna get my bearings back here for a second. Uh, wow. Well, uh, like I, I said, I think I did ask you the hardest question. However, before we let you go, uh, we do want to continue to pick your brain a little bit and ask you some rapid fire questions. Mm. Uh, and so dad, I think you've got the first one. Well, being an Alabama boy, I'm sure you got some good stuff here. Austin best or worst advice you've ever received best or worst advice you've ever received. Yeah. Uh, Rick Coleman runs the fellows program in Knoxville. Uh, and, and, and this just kind of, we're all shoot from the hip here. So I think he taught me something at an early age that if, if money can fix it, it's not a problem, right? Mm-hmm. If money can fix it, it's not a problem. Uh, so it just kind of resounds with me as a, an executive director right now. I like that. I like that. Who are, you've mentioned some of them uh, in this podcast already, but who are the most influential people in your life? Hmm. Uh, the, the canned and the honest answer is, is my parents, man, uh, just being a, a dad of two young kids, myself, like forever grateful for what my parents have, have given and bestowed upon me. Uh, but if I had to pick somebody that wasn't blood related, his name's Zach ships. He's the guy that I did the interview at booster with. He's a roommate, a former business partner, uh, a former roommate, uh, and former business partner. But man, if I, if I just see somebody who's on fire for the Lord and, uh, just savvy and w- wise and, He's a great fisherman and just a bear of a guy, but uh, Zach Ships has, has shaped me and molded me in many ways. 
It's amazing how when you have kids, you start to give more grace back to your parents. You're like, oh, I get it. Uh, (laughs) Appreciate it. For all of us parents out there, we appreciate the plug. Uh, That is for sure. Hey, Austin, let me ask you, when was the last time you took a risk and how did that work out? Yeah, uh, we we sold our house of 10 years ago, 10 years, about a month ago. uh, And with the housing market being what it is, we just kind of, uh, we did that because of, because of some things with the house and and some issues that it was causing within our family. Uh, but we have we're in an apartment right now, and so uh, just trying to figure out where that goes. So that's kind of that's kind of a big risk, uh, I think, that we've taken uh, right now. And I, and it's going to work out great. We're gonna we're gonna stay true to the plan and uh, persist. Right. I like it. I like it. Tell us about the best or most meaningful place you've ever visited. Mm. Uh, I think this is going to be a coin flip, uh, either the grand Canyon. I don't know how you can go to the grand Canyon and not just be in awe of our creator. Mm. Uh, at the same time, uh, I went to Maui with my, my in-laws and, and family one time and we went to the top of, uh, uh, Haleakala is the volcano. And so it's 10,000 feet and it's above the clouds there. Uh, and so watching the sunrise on top of volcano is a pretty, pretty amazing place. That's awesome. We've not had that answer before. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Put that on our list. Austin, how about the best or worst job that you've ever had? Man. Best and worst job you've ever had. Yeah. The worst isn't going to be because of why you think it was. I worked for two men in a truck, a moving company one summer, right? (laughs) And it wasn't the moving that bothered me. It was uh, you had to call in every day the night before to see if you were on call right. To see if you'd be working the next day. So that just, that didn't jive with my like structuredness, uh, and Uh and knowing that, uh, the best one, uh, guys, one of my college roommates had a, had a beach house off the coast of North Carolina. And so for a summer and a half, uh, we, we went and we would put up, they called them cabanas, but it's just like the tailgate tents that you're aware of. And so we, we work for about two and a half to three hours a day, getting up at five and setting those up uh, and then taking them down at sunset. And and that was all we did. And we made really good money doing that and just lived at the beach for a summer and a half. So that's good. You know, before you had responsibilities, that was, that was the best right. job that I ever that's had. Right. I like it. I like that. Uh, what is, uh, what book are you reading right now? Yeah. I just picked up uh, the voltage effect by John list. I'm only a, a chapter in, but Title of that is How to Make Good Ideas Great and Great Ideas Scale. Uh, mm. So Voltage Effect by John List. I like that. I'm just adding that to my list. And Austin, how about besides uh, the Bible or other books of faith, mm. the best book that you've ever read? Man, uh, this is tough. I, I think I, I landed on The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, just kind of how that highlights a, a father and a son. Uh, another one would be uh, Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. It's a, one of his newer books. Uh, and then if you want to get kind of fictional, All the Light We Cannot See is a great book as well. Mm. Um, okay. All right. Dad, how many of, the, of those have you read? Or did you just add them all to your list? <laughs> well, actually, the Gladwell book is on my list. And I'm curious, Austin, for those of us that have not gotten to it yet, is it in keeping with all the other Malcolm Gladwell books? Or is it the best one yet? I think it's, I think he de- deters a little bit um, in terms of his, his, what he analyzes in that, right? Like how he goes about, it, it's kind of in track with like his revisionist history 
to some degree. Um, I, I think it's great. It, it, it's a little bit less maybe advice and steps, right. Um, of some other publications like tipping point, right. It's, it's more, yeah, it's, it's probably my nice. favorite. Awesome. Final question. What's next for Austin Hardison? <laughs> uh, m- maybe lunch. Uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm a dad of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so, uh, I think I'm trying to, you know, how do our, our days are numbered, right? So how do I soak up that season, but also, uh, as executive director of a nonprofit, like how do we grow that? How do we put more season, uh, resources behind that? So there's this, there's this big season of growth ahead, right? And how do we, how do we take Red Mountain Grace to the next level? Uh, and that looks a lot of different ways. But at the same time, like, how do I just stay in check with where I'm called to be uh, as a father and a husband? Right. Um, So I think that's a that's a challenging question, Jacob. It's a very challenging question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, uh, like I said at the beginning of this, we've been looking forward to this. Uh, We were introduced through Mutual Connection, and this has just been phenomenal. Obviously, a, a big, big fan of your ministry and to congratulate you on on job well done all the success ahead and thanks for being uh, here and talking to us today fellas thank you for your time and thanks for having me as your guest look forward to staying in touch absolutely well to all our listeners thank you as always for listening uh we're gonna have all the links to austin and red mountain grace in the show notes below so make sure you check that out our guest today austin hardison from red mountain grace thanks so much austin for being with us and thanks to our friend andrew deerhood who also uh, gave us the contact info to get you on the podcast. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in today. Make sure that you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. And until next time, keep chasing what matters.